The reading today is 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn of oil and be on your way. I am sending to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass for Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the liar. He will play when the evil spirit from God, from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well and brings him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the liar. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well, is a fine looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to, re- to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Thanks, Matt, so much for reading. Let me pray before we look at this passage together. Father, you know how we come to our church today, you know how our hearts are um, better than we know ourselves. And we admit that often our hearts are um, are hard towards you and your word. Um, Sometimes our ears are deaf to what you have to say to us. But I pray that today, this afternoon, you would incline our hearts to your ways. Give us ears that would listen to what you have to say to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as Jeremy said, this series we're looking at in one Samuel, we've, we've called In Search of a King. And today's passage that Matt just read out is, is a pivotal moment in the book. Actually, it's a pivotal moment in the whole story of the Bible. Some would say that there's no more significant Old Testament character in the Bible than the character of David, whose story we begin today. A reminder again then from a few months ago, probably we looked at chapter eight in this book, where we saw that the people of Israel came to Samuel the prophet. And do you remember what they said? They said, we want a king. And the heart behind that was, we don't want a king under God. We want a king instead of God. We want to be like the, the other nations around us. They rejected our identity as God's people. And do you remember God gave them what they asked for? Saul. King Saul, his name literally meant asked for. And he started off okay, but he quickly went downhill. And so if we wind forward to chapter 15, we see that he turns away from God. He disobeys him and, and, and actually Saul's a bit of a disaster. And so Samuel the prophet said to him in chapter 15, verse 26, he said, you've rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king of Israel. That's where we left things a few uh, weeks or months ago. And the, the closing credits came down at the end of that episode as we stopped there and paused for a while. And, and the question that they had, the question that we have is, what next for God's people? Has the king project failed? Will they be left with a rubbish king? Will God abandon his, re his rebellious people, his well within his rights, it seems to do that? But as we pick up the story again in chapter 16, we're going to see that despite God's people's rejection of him, he'll graciously give them another king. Because God doesn't give up on his people. Yet, yet this time it's going to be his choice. And we'll see that together. I don't know if you've had one of these through the, the door. Is it probably lying on the side? If it's anything like in our house, London mayoral elections, the 6th of May, the 703 candidates. No, it's not quite that many, is it? But lots of people going for that, including Lord Buckethead and Count Binface. If that doesn't mean anything to you, um, Google that. They're running for, for London Mayor. But I don't know what you look for in, in the next London Mayor, if you've spent any time thinking about that. What criteria, what requirements matter to you? Is it their green policy or the, the safer streets that they promise? Um, or is it the, the ULES zone? Are they going to extend it or not? Maybe that matters to you. But actually, all of us in this room, we're swayed by first appearances, aren't we? Maybe as we look through that, as we look at the person or see a TV interview with them, we're, we're often very swayed by appearance. Apparently 55% um, when we meet someone is what we see. We make up our mind on someone as we see them, 55%. 38% is what we hear coming from their mouths. And 7% is their actual content of their words. I don't know if you're surprised by that or not. But often personality, charisma, first impressions, what we see matters. But as we come to 1 Samuel 16, what is God looking for when it comes to his choice of king? And what do we expect? What do we want in God's king? Well, two points we're going to see today, two things. First of all, a king chosen by God. 
King Chosen by God. If you've got a Bible there in front of you on your phone, verse 1, where it all starts, where we pick up the story, it says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So the episode starts as we, we pick it up with a weeping prophet, Samuel, the prophet, mourning King Saul. Perhaps, I don't know, Samuel feels partly responsible for this failure of kingship. Maybe Samuel getting old fears the future for God's people. And there's a sense of appropriateness, isn't there, when we, when we mourn, uh, when leaders fail us, political leaders, church leaders, right that there's weeping and mourning when those things happen yet time has passed and God doesn't want his prophet there in sort of head in hands weeping no God has a fresh agenda this is a new dawn for the nation of Israel God has a plan for a new king and this time it will be his king that's a clear thing that comes through God takes responsibility for his people and how good that is for God's people end of verse one did you see this time he says I have chosen one of Jesse's sons to be king. The English Standard Version brings that out even more. It says, for I have provided for myself a king amongst Jesse's sons. Well, the end of verse three, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. As I said, when, when God's people in chapter eight rejected him, do you remember God gave them their king? That was Saul. Here, it's going to be God's king. It's going to be different. So Samuel wipes the tears away. And, uh, well, he's still scared. Saul is on the throne. He's a powerful man, intimidating man. And it would be treason, it seems, wouldn't it, to make someone else the king. And so God's saying to Samuel, pack the oil in your bag, the oil for anointing. That means only one thing, that a new king is going to be anointed. And Samuel's not the only one scared. Did you see in verse four, as he arrives in Bethlehem, the, the elders of the town meet him and they see a prophet in the distance turning, turning up out of the blue and maybe they're feeling a bit jittery. Why is the prophet coming? What does that mean for us? But Samuel assures them, uh, it's all right. I'm not looking for you here. I'm looking for Jesse, a man called Jesse and his sons. And as Jesse and his sons gather, maybe they think it's a family meeting. What's this about? Is it how we split the bills or what's happening? And they gather together and unbeknown to them, one of these sons will be the next king of Israel, the future of the nation. And so as Jesse and his sons, they all stumble in, gather together. And, and Samuel lays his eyes on, on one of the sons in particular who comes through, Eliab. And... Uh, 55%, as I said, is on first impressions. And Samuel is, is impressed. Surely this guy, Eliab, is the next king. He looks like kingly material. Maybe it's the biceps bulging out the shirt. Maybe his uh, record of playing rugby for the Bethlehem Broncos or the piercing eyes that he sees. I don't know. But Samuel thinks that, yeah, this is the guy. This is the one. And so maybe he goes to his bag and gets the, gets the oil out ready to anoint him. But, but if Samuel was too slow to stop mourning in verse one, 
He's too quick here to choose the next king. And so verse seven is a bit of a hold your horses moment. It's the key verse in the chapter, probably the key verse in the whole of one and two Samuel. And maybe it's familiar when Matt read it out. Verse seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at that outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Samuel was influenced by the externals. Eliab looked kingly and he got ahead of God. Maybe just as we're reorientating ourselves in this book, um, you might remember that that height has been a kind of thing that's referred to quite a lot. Chapter 9, verse 2, we were told that Saul was head and shoulders taller than anyone else. It's interesting here, isn't it, that we're told about Eliab's height. In other words, Samuel here is choosing a a Saul-like kind of guy. Saul, Mark 2, we might say. But from Hannah's song back in chapter 2, God, well, God has a different agenda. Do you remember there it said, God brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. See, as human beings, we, we choose the shiny and impressive things. But God has different priorities. Samuel was looking at the outside. God was looking at the heart. And what is God looking for in the heart? Well, I think in the context of 1 Samuel, he's looking for humility in his king, lowliness, submissiveness to God and his word, all the things that Saul wasn't. See, God's king, well, he won't look particularly impressive by worldly standards. He won't look like a Saul or an Eliab. So Jesse, the dad, maybe he's a bit embarrassed. You know, Eliab's his main guy, and he thinks... Okay, he's not been chosen. Well, don't worry. Um, Abinadab, come over here, the second son in the line. And he comes before Samuel. Samuel says, no, no, it's not him either. Okay, uh, what else have you got? And you imagine the seven sons, they're all in a line, maybe from the, the tallest to the shortest. Goes through them. No, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him. No, none of these sons. And Samuel is... Perhaps a bit baffled. God's told him here to anoint the next king, and that's none of these guys. Jesse's been embarrassed. His seven sons, come on, you surely can choose amongst one of these. And then verse 11 shows us the answer to this. Samuel asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Oh, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Sometimes people say about the second child being a bit forgotten. I'm a second child. I don't think I was forgotten. But maybe you've been second child, you felt a bit forgotten. What about if you're the eighth son? Okay, that's what David is. He's the eighth son. And he's the youngest. He's the smelliest. He's been with the sheep. And he's not the prime candidate. He's not even a candidate. He wasn't even invited by his dad. But plans are made. Hurry up, go and fetch him. Go and fetch him from the sheep. And uh, it's worth saying, I think, just, just as a side note here, it's not that, that David is ugly and that's why he's chosen. Uh, it's not that God never uses good-looking people. Just look at the Trinity staff team. No, that's, that's a joke. That's, that's, that's a joke. Um, David, we're told, has fine appearance. Yet in God's eyes, it's, it's not the external appearance that matters. It's the heart. 
And so back in chapter 13, we're told that God's king was going to be a man after God's own heart. His heart was for God. He's not perfect, we'll see that, but his heart was for God. The point here then is that David was a completely unexpected choice, yet he was God's choice. He wasn't tall, he wasn't exceptional, he was small and unexceptional, but yet David here is the anointed one, literally the Messiah, filled with the Spirit. Do you see that in verse 13? We're told Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. We've seen the Holy Spirit come on Saul a few chapters ago, but only temporarily. Here, in a more significant, lasting way, from that day on, we're told, the Holy Spirit will be on David. So here is the chosen one by God, the chosen king, um, the one anointed by God's prophet, and the one who has the Holy Spirit filling him. And it is very hard, isn't it, to read these verses without seeing another boy king from the insignificant little town of Bethlehem. Written many years after David was alive, after he had died, um, the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, wrote this. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of Israel. His origins are from of old, from ancient times. So Jesus' location is insignificant as he comes as king, but so is his appearance. Isaiah 53 puts it like this about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Okay, so location of Jesus coming, insignificant. Looks unimpressive. Even do you remember Jesus' family overlooked him? Yet he is the anointed one, true Messiah, the one who had the Holy Spirit filling him, baptized by a prophet, this time John the Baptist. So in these verses, we, we get to see David as a sort of blueprint that points forward to Jesus, the greater king. But I wonder, like Samuel in this chapter with David, have you missed Jesus? Have you overlooked him? as God's king, failed to see him for who he really is. It's a bit of a pattern in the Bible that God uses the, the weak, seemingly insignificant. Have you missed him? And maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you, you don't like worshipping an overlooked king. It's a bit embarrassing that Jesus kind of rode on a donkey or suffered or died on a cross. You wish he was a bit more impressive looking, less weakness, seemingly more relevant. Yet Jesus is God's anointed king. Will you acknowledge him for, for who he really is, king of your life? He's the ruler, the Lord supreme. A few years ago, I had a story about um, a, a guy called Kerry Packer. I don't know if any Australians might recognise that name, maybe others would. He was an Australian billionaire. And he, uh, there's a story, he died I think five or six years ago, and um, a story came out, he had died, that said that he was with a load of friends one night, and they were going for dinner, and it was quite late in the evening, and they went to 
went to a pub for dinner and the dinner said, sorry, kitchen's closed. You know, it's really annoying, isn't it, when that happens? You've just missed it. And, um, and, and the kitchen's closed. So they went to another pub or another restaurant across the road, had a lovely meal. And the, the bill came at the end of the meal, $280. And Kerry Packer got his checkbook out and wrote a, a check for $100,280. Not bad. And uh, the manager came over and he said, um, here, here's the check, 280, that, that covers the food, $100,000, that's the tip. But I'm only gonna give it to you on one condition, that you take it across the road and show it to the manager of the pub that wasn't serving food. I mean, is that kind or is that brutal? I'm not quite sure, a bit of both probably. But the point of that story is that, that the first guy, he, he didn't see who it was who had just come into his pub. He failed to recognize that this guy was, was probably the richest man in, Aus in Australia, one of the richest men in the world. He had fa failed to recognize his identity. Let's make sure that we don't do the same with God's king. And as this is a secondary application here, I think this begs the question, what kind of leaders do we choose? What kind of leaders do we look up to and want? Thinking just for a moment in a church setting, it's quite possible, I think, for churches like ours to, to sin by devaluing the wrong things in a, in a leader. Looking on the outside, appearance, rather than character, rather than looking on the heart. I don't know, do we value the, the extrovert leader, the, the sort of smooth CEO pastor, or do we value humility, gentleness, submissiveness to God's words? Jeremy's gonna reflect on this a little bit later in the service. And maybe as we meet people, uh, as church opens up a bit more and visitors come, or we maybe in our small groups get to know other people a little bit more, what do we value most in others? Is it the externals or is it character? Of course, we'd be limited, won't we? We can never purely see the heart in the way that God does. But like people, do we overvalue outward appearance or do we think like God about character, about the heart? Maybe that's something to think about in the park after the service. Well, we've seen a king chosen by God, but what kind of king? This is the second point, and more briefly, a king chosen by God who serves. The rest of 1 Samuel, and we see the lives of Saul and David will interweave. They come together, and we'll see Saul's descent from the throne and, and um, David going in the other direction to the throne, ascending. And that happens here. As we saw the Holy Spirit come powerfully in verse 13 on David. But did you notice the, the verse later, verse 14, the Holy Spirit leaves Saul. Verse 14, I think a couple of things are worth saying. First of all, that the Spirit then, Holy Spirit, leaves Saul. Maybe that's something that alarms us, and it of course would have been alarming to him. I think we need to say this slightly different what's going on here in an in a Old Testament way than we see now in the New Testament. So if someone becomes a Christian, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they can't lose their salvation or the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on certain individuals at certain times, often for certain events. And so it's a different thing going on. And what's going on here is more that there was a, a sort of transition that was confirmed here with the Holy Spirit coming upon the new King David. 
But then the second little thing that's of interest in this verse is that an evil spirit, or the footnote says a harmful spirit, came from God to Saul on him. Some uh, commentators that I was, uh, I was reading this week said, uh, maybe this is kind of bipolar disorder coming on him, or melancholia, or paranoia. I'm not sure exactly if we're to know what, what exactly it was. But I think we can see this as a sort of temporary judgment sent from God upon Saul. Hear me very clearly here. I'm not saying that all mental health nowadays is a result of God's judgment. I'm, I'm not saying that at all. And this event that we've got coming up in three weeks, we can ask questions about, about those kind of things. Here is very specific that just for Saul, because of his rejection of God's, this temporary judgment comes on him. And so the servants of, of Saul in the, in the courts, um, they put their heads together and they think, okay, let's sort some music therapy out. Maybe that will be the answer for the king. And one of them says, well, I know a guy, um, he's, he's very impressive liar player he's got his he's got his grade eight uh, he's doing well uh he's brave as well he's a warrior he's good looking and the lord is with him that's quite a good cv isn't it um for for this role it reminds me of um, when i was uh, studying a music college and there was a piece that had been commissioned that I, I was playing in and it was for seven harps and one trumpet classic kind of combination and uh, there was beautiful harps kind of almost falling asleep in the rehearsal and then suddenly I came in with the noisy trumpet, and it, I think it probably ruined everything. But you'll be glad to know here, there's no trumpet. It's just a harp, and it very much does the job. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. You spot the providence here, it just happens to be David going into the courts. But spot the irony as well, that here, David is God's chosen king, as we saw in the first half. Now, Saul chooses David, confirms him that the current king chooses and confirms the future king. He liked him very much. But we might say, okay, what, what on earth does this section mean for us? Is it that we should have some harps in the bands? I mean, I'm not against that, but I think there's probably a little bit more going on here, isn't there? What we see is that David is the king elect and he uses that to serve. Next week we see that he uses that to rescue. Come back, spoiler alert for David and Goliath. But, but Saul is, is under God's judgment, yet God's king is the only one who can bring relief. The new king is that the only answer, the only solution to God's judgment. The king after God's own heart, well, he's a servant king. And actually the effects of this chapter, the effects of this fresh start for God's people, we feel the reverberations of that still here today. God has not left his people in the lurch, but he's provided them with a king. Not Saul Mark II, but a servant king, a king after his own heart. And again, this points for us towards Jesus. God's anointed, he's a servant king. History is, is littered, isn't it, with examples of kings, um, politician leaders, sometimes as I mentioned, sadly, church leaders who have used their status and their authority to boss people around, to bully people, to intimidate people. 
Yet God's King Jesus Christ, as in the words of Philippians 2, gave up the, the palace and glory of heaven to come and serve. Be born in a manger, die on a cross. See, the spirit-empowered king here, he rescues, he brings relief from judgment. That comes in this story through David in a temporary way through the harp. It comes for you and me through a permanent way through the cross. Prince Philip, I don't know if you saw his funeral, I think it was last weekend. And people have different opinions on Prince Philip, his life and, and all that he did. But... One undeniable fact that came through for all the press coverage was the way that he served. He served his wife, the queen, for, for so many years, and he served the country as well, giving up his kind of priorities, I'm sure, often when he didn't want to go to a certain event, but he went, and he served. Yet here we see David, the, the servant king, being a signpost, as I said, to a better king, to King Jesus. And I can imagine there'll be some of us that think, yeah, yeah I know that. I've known that since I was 10 in Sunday school, you know, upstairs, maybe not this Sunday school, but another one. And you think, yeah, I know that he's a servant king. So what? We need to see that this incredible moment, this pivotal moment in the history of God's people, that he didn't give up on them. He didn't give up on us, but he's provided a king because God is so committed to his people that he'd send a servant king to lay down his life for us. See, Jesus is a king who, who will never fail you. Jesus is a king who will never give up on you. In one summer, we're in search for a king. We're looking for a king. And in Jesus, we find the kind of king, not only that we want, but much more than that, that we need. Now, that's a king I, I want to follow. I want to get behind. What about you? Let's... Just allow a couple of minutes, silence, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Father, thank you for the way that this pictures, foreshadows the wonderful Lord Jesus Christ, the King. I pray that we will be people who recognise him, who see him as he truly is, and give our lives to follow him. Lord, you know how difficult that is for us at times in our lives. But help us to realise that that is the best possible way to live, and both for now and eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.